holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James... Badly afternoon to you. Badly. Badly, badly afternoon. afternoon. Yeah, mm. badly afternoon indeed. It feels strange that we're on the eve of a new year, 2019. It feels so futuristic. And yet yesterday's uh, football match felt like very much something from the past returning. It felt like we'd stepped into a time machine and gone back to not that long ago, basically. Yes. It's kind of like having a wart and you get rid of the wart... And then the wart comes back, like on your yes. foot or something, you know, something that might recur. Like and I, you're like, I thought, have I ever told you about when I cut a wart off my foot? No. Please do, because I'd rather hear this than talk about the football, to be honest. Basically, as a child, I had some sort of, not a child, I was probably in my early teens, I had some sort of growth on the end of my toe. Right. So, I, And I rather than sort of, you know, just leave it or go to a doctor or something, uh, and I didn't tell anybody, and I got a pair of like metal clippers and um, removed it, like cut it off, and I had to wrap my foot in a towel overnight because it was bleeding so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I lived to tell the tale, and it never came back. Wow! So kids, if you're listening, do your own surgery. If anything's growing out of you, just chop it off. Get the get nearest some bolt bear- cutters exactly. and a towel. And you're good, good as gold. You'll be all fine. James, yeah. uh, his physical health, his 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 wonderful uh, condition is evidence that exactly. everything will be okay. So go for it. Um, um, yeah, so I, I'm sure people are more happy to hear about that than they are about the football, right? I'm sure they as are. Disgusting as it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever cut anything off myself. I've had a, I've had a few surgery things, but nothing nothing like that. Nothing you've done yourself. No, I'm a, I'm a pioneer. You are. You are. Um, uh, no, no anaesthetic either. Just straight in. Did it right. hurt? I think so, but I think I was so appalled at whatever it was. Presumably, it was mm. some sort of war that I, you know, it was a sacrifice I considered worth making. I tell you that one thing that did happen to me was I had a, a, a sort of a bone growth out of the side of my right knee as wow. uh, when I was in my teenage years as well. And it sort of grew out at a right angle. And I remember sitting down. I'd been to the doctor about it and everything. Um, and I had to get it removed surgically in the end. But I remember sitting down in class one day and I crossed my legs and I snapped it in two. That hurt. <gasps> that really Ooh, hurt. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What shape was it when it was coming out? I was would... it like another kneecap? Or... No, it was kind of thinner... And more sticky-outy, so like a little bone Mickey out of my knee. Wow. Yeah, 
And it snapped in two. I snapped my knee's banjo string in two. Oh, my word. When they took it out, did you keep it? Do you have it as a key ring? I I don't. No, I don't have it at all. I don't know what they did with it. I presume they threw it away. I wasn't uh, particularly keen on keeping it, but, you know, looking back now, it would have been a nice little keepsake. Souvenir. Maybe the doctor who removed it is listening. And if we could reunite you with with the bone Mickey from your knee, wouldn't that be a beautiful... It would be an amazing thing. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it could be preserved in amber, buried deep within the earth, and some point in the future, I could be brought back to life. There could be just like a Jurassic Park of, of Andrews running around. This is the Andrewsaurus, Andrewsaurus Rex. Wow. Look at the massive crap here. That's how they know they're in the Jurassic... Anyway. So many podcasts. They could have one each. Yeah, we are We are skirting around the issue, I think. We so are Martin skirtling <laughs> around the issue. Martin we? skirtling around the issue. Yeah, there's a thing. Um, <sighs> Let, but come it wasn't here. good, was it? No, it wasn't good at all. Now, <laughs> t- tell me, when you went into this game and you you saw the lineup, what were what were you realistically thinking? I have to say, I wasn't confident at all that we were going to get anything from the game. When we went ahead, it was like a nice a nice little surprise, but it was like giving us a. Uh, a really fleeting moment of happiness, wasn't it? The way the game panned out, they sort of gave us a bite of this delicious thing and then took it away and replaced it with a complete shit sandwich. Absolutely. I was watching in the pub and thinking back, I think the degree to which I celebrated the opening goal kind of betrayed my surprise <laughs> and my <laughs> how much I expected us to lose. I, I thought I never really thought we would get anything from this game, which is partly why I was had all my eggs in the Brighton basket, you know, yeah. get Lucas Torreira That's out there fair. make sure you we get that, that three yeah. points. Yeah. Um, obviously, we didn't do that. Uh, that didn't work, that plan. But uh, this game I always looked at, and I looked at Liverpool, particularly what they had going forward against our defence, and I just couldn't see us keeping them out. I, I guess I kind of fantasised that maybe we would hit some kind of attacking form and put two or three past them and make it tricky for them, like yeah. we did at Stamford Bridge, say, or, mm. or at Old Trafford. But uh, it, it wasn't like that. And the, the, having gone ahead, though, I must say, the speed of our collapse was something to behold. It was like the game at Old Trafford, wasn't it, where we went ahead and then, or, you know, they equalised um, both times really quickly after we'd scored. Um, were you expecting both it times, to... Uh, go on. Of, amusingly calamitous goals. It's not amusing. I I can't find anything amusing in the way we defend or some of the people defend. If it was happening to another team, I promise you I would be laughing my tits off. I really would because I look at some of the players that we have and the way that they attempt to defend and I think, what the fuck? How are you a professional footballer? Well, just before we get further into this, you mentioned when you saw the lineup uh, and you were perturbed at, at best. What did you think of the decision not to start with Laurent Koscielny? I guess he's just not physically ready. I guess yeah. he's not able. I mean, that's the reality of his situation. He's just back from six or seven months out. He's been asked to play quite a bit recently, and I think the demands are are too high. Um, so that that's the only reason. I assume it's based on physical tests and everything else that they do. Because even at this point, at 33 years of age, having ruptured his Achilles tendon and spent seven months out doing rehab and clearly not anywhere near as match fit as you would like him to be, 
Lauren Koscielny is, our, is still our best central defender. And that tells you everything you need to know about this Arsenal defence. Yeah. I think they would have played him if they could, because why Why wouldn't you? And I know he had a really difficult time in whatever game that was. What was it? The Southampton game. I know he did a ter- terrible time. Um, you do have to put that in the context of him just coming back, etc., etc. So I, I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't a back three when I looked at the lineup. Well, and I, I couldn't. Go yeah, on. I, I was watching it as well, and I assumed it was going to be a back three. And yeah. I have to say, up until we fell behind in the game, I thought there were moments where it did look like a back three, where Licksteiner was tucked quite narrow and, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles seemed to be playing outside him. But mm. certainly from when we went behind, it was more like a, a four, wasn't it? With Maitland-Niles pushing really, really high. He spent, he spent the whole game pushing really high, yeah. to be honest. They were obviously looking to exploit Andy Robertson, who makes so many runs forward. And, and it actually worked, let's not forget, for mm. our opening goal. He got, made a great run in behind him. But yeah, it, it, I, in the first half, found the system confusing because if Licksteiner was playing fullback, then he was playing it very, very narrow. Yeah. But equally, if Ainsley Maitland-Niles was playing wingback, he was playing it exceptionally high. Well, I mean, I assume he, he, he picked that personnel if he felt like the team needed to revert to a back three because you could do that very easily by bringing yeah. Maitland-Niles back, moving Licksteiner in alongside the other two Egypts. Um uh, but you know it, it didn't happen we did score we did score first I thought it was a really good goal uh, we won the ball well, Liverpool gave the ball away quite cheaply but we did well with it Ramsey and Iwobi combining Iwobi with a great cross and Maitland-Niles there to to stick it in the back of the net and he you know what a, what a game to score your first goal in you know it's a day he'll absolutely want to forget because it was such a shambles of, uh, of a performance but a good goal from him and I thought both him and Iwobi were probably the only two bright spots on the on the night yeah I think that is fair to say I mean you know Woby's been a player who's been out of form recently and Emery actually spoke about that after the game to the BBC I think said he's he's not been particularly good recently but he had a good game today I thought he did really well for the goal and generally was better than he has been I just I feel for Maitland-Niles too because this was a big game for him to start in you know he made an impact with the goal but that's just going to be really forgotten, you know, in the broader context of the match because of what followed. Mm. And what followed was just... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not really laughing. I'm I'm just laughing because it's a coping mechanism, I guess, because the, the, the alternative is, is full-on rage and madness, and I'm not sure that anybody uh, needs to hear that, or maybe they do need to hear it, but I don't think it would um, be the most productive way to discuss this fucking load of shit that we saw <laughs> well let's I mean let's maybe go goal by goal just yep. you know for the sake of go on. Uh, being able to provide some kind of analytical thought beyond the rage the first goal I mean okay is it a, is it un, a bit unlucky the first one yep it is a little bit unlucky because the ball broke to Firmino I mean I'm not sure Licksteiner kicking the ball off Mustafi's arse was the most experienced piece of defensive play I've ever seen. Uh, no, I mean, he can't, you know, that is unfortunate the way it rebounds off his ass directly into Firmino's path. But when you do look at it, he could have put it some other places. Yes, like not in Mustafi's arse. Yeah, that would have behind been, the goal, yeah. away from the goal, away from Mustafi. 
away from Mustafi's arse, anywhere but Mustafi and Mustafi's arse. I mean, look, I think there was something instructive about the the way that the ball started bouncing around our area. It was a granite shack tackle on Mo Salah, and it was a last-ditch tackle in our box. And from the first whistle, we were being forced into those kind of challenges and that yeah. kind of defending. We were so on the back foot. We were being pulled apart. We were stretched all over the pitch. They were finding space in behind us. And it was a consequence of how we played the game in general. The the fact that we were just having to make last-ditch challenges all the time. And we did it from the first minute to the last and not all of them worked out well. So it was a little bit unlucky, but I think someone like Licksteiner should have done a lot better with that ball when it broke to him in the box. Firmino taps it in. Uh, 1-1, 2-1. Please describe to me in your own words what you thought of this goal and what, what it made you feel. Uh, I think it made me feel ashamed. <laughs> I think I think that's the word. I mean, it was as I say, I was watching it in a, a public space, so I think that sense of embarrassment was heightened. I mean, it's one of those where you're sort of grateful that the commentator talks about Firmino's brilliance and how he waltzes through the defence because really that is barely half the story. You know, it, parts like the dead sea for him do you know what I mean mm. it's absolutely I mean it's Keystone Cops it's it's every bad defensive cliche that you've ever heard could be applied to this situation schoolboy stuff you know clown car defending it is all of that and more I mean it goes back actually uh, Torreira gets dispossessed doesn't he by Mane he gets caught on the ball yeah. and I have to say I really like Lucas Torreira I think he's been a good signing I thought he had a really disastrous particularly the first mm. 30 minutes of this game yeah. um, like if you look at the, their first goal the 1-1 he gets very easily turned by Firmino I think Mane turned him very easily early on as well it yeah. was almost like he was knackered you know, yeah yeah from I mean, playing at Brighton perhaps well maybe <laughs> But, I mean, I have to say, I don't even think he could have prevented what happened yesterday. If you see what I mean, I still yeah. think it's almost redundant. Like, what we had at the back had no real chance, I think, given the way it turned out. Mm. But, yeah, I thought he was poor. And I thought um, that's partly why they seem to be constantly running at our defence and forcing us into those last-ditch tackles. That said, what happens when Firmino goes through? Look, it is, it's decent from Firmino, but Mustafi and... Socrates are, I mean, they uh, disgrace themselves, maybe. <laughs> I think I think that's not far from the truth. Yeah. Like, w- what Mustafi does, I, you know, if you did that at, uh, here we go with a big cliche, but if you did it at Sunday League level, you wouldn't play for a month. It was that bad. It was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And you can say what you want to me about, oh, he's been out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. That's got nothing to do with that. That's got nothing to do with the way he tried to defend there. I don't know that you can actually call that defending, waggling out a leg. Do you remember Danielson towards the end of his Arsenal career would sort of go through the motions of making a tackle? He'd just sort of hang a leg out at a player as he sped past him, followed mm. swiftly by the referee who was faster than Danielson. Uh, to me, that's the final fucking straw with Mustafi. I've just had it up to my eyes with that guy. You know, he is capable, I accept, of good performances and on his day, he can look like 
a good centre-half. But the days are few and far between. The mistakes are far too regular, far too often. And that's not, that's not just bad defending. It's lazy. It's careless. It's stupid. It's a player who doesn't really give a fuck you know, to to attempt to defend that way. And I don't know if it's some kind of zombie central defensive apocalypse that's going on that he infected Socrates with the same thing because he wasn't much better. But, you know, we've got a track record of Mustafi ending up on his arse for no good reason. And that was just absolutely embarrassing. Embarrassing from him. And you're absolutely right where the commentator goes, that's brilliant from Firmino. Well, it was all right from Firmino, but it was just shambolic defending it really was it was like one of those games where you see never see one of those games where they play three professional players against 90 children and they run around on the pitch uh, and the children all sort of wiggle out their little tiny legs to try and get the ball and the the professional players can just you know keep it on a on a it's like that mustafi Mm. is 90 small children that's how good he is at football he's worse than the 90 small children i just that's ah Sorry. No, I can't. No. I just can't. I felt so angry after after that goal went in. So angry. That this is nominally our first choice central defensive partnership. And you're looking at them going, who the fuck is coaching you? Who the fuck is teaching you? Who is telling you what to do on the pitch? And why don't you know how to do the basics anyway? How is it you get caught doing that same shit time and time again? And how has nobody fucking punched you in the eye on the training ground? Or I just, not that I'm advocating violence. I'm just, I'm just trying to express the emotion that it, that it caused in me when I saw that yesterday. It was just, get the fuck out of here and don't come back. Like if I drive off, I tell Mustafi, go back in. I left something in my kit bag and I drive the coach off and I'd fucking leave him there. We don't yet know if that happened, but we can only. Sorry about that. I, I told you that this is <laughs> this was this was the uh, it's the switcheroo here between the uh, laughing as a coping mechanism well, uh, and yeah, thinking yeah. about it again and getting fucking angry. No, I mean, I in, in some respects I'd be looking forward to doing this podcast because there's a kind of cathartic element to it, but in other <laughs> respects I kind of fear opening the the Pandora's box. I mean. Did we ever hear, by the way, why Mustafi went off at half-time? Was there ever an injury cited there? Or? No, no, maybe because he was just back from his hamstring injury. Maybe he was feeling his hamstring injury. Maybe, just maybe, the manager, having seen him do what he did for that goal, decided, get the fuck off the pitch. That's yeah. not good enough. And you're not going back out there. So we'll play Koscielny, who wasn't fit enough to play 90 minutes and could probably do 45. Um, to me, I hope that's what it was. I hope that's what it was. I, I think, you know, we wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the manager to make that kind of call. We've seen some things like that from him all season long. So that feels entirely plausible. I mean, it really was diabolical stuff and compounded, I suppose, by Torreira, who almost got back falling over. There were three Arsenal defensive players you know, on the floor by the time Firmino actually put it in the net. Mm. And, I mean, how quickly did those two goals come? It was within min- minutes of each other, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, about 90 seconds between the two goals. And, you know, from going ahead against the run of play, you're now behind and the momentum of the game just completely shifted. And it's not an exaggeration to say that every time they came forward, I was 
afraid that we would concede because I look at the players that we have back there and anything is possible. Anything is possible. And it's just, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You know, you look at the amount of goals we've conceded. It's 30 goals in 20 Premier League games. It's really, really bad defensively. I thought the the third goal was really bad as well. We conceded a corner. We didn't need to concede. A careless back pass from Kolasinac to Leno. Yeah. He couldn't keep it in. We clear the corner. We attempt to play some kind of offside trap, but it's like a, a wiggly line. It's like the wiggly line. It's a diagonal. It, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, you know, when you you get a heart monitor on. It was like the wiggly beat of your heart. Yeah. And that was, you know, probably the equivalent of everyone's heartbeat watching that. Um, it looked like a weather front. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think they're supposed to. No, they're definitely not. It's called, uh, you know, the, the line. Keep the, the, It's a line. Lines are straight. Straight. Yeah. Not all wiggly waggly. Um, Licksteiner played Salah on. Uh, Mustafi had no fucking idea what was going on. Neither they did Socrates. I think four to two on that back post, didn't they? Or something crazy like that. Oh. Um, and then Salah puts it across, and nobody's anticipated that. And you know, Chase, uh, who is it? Who puts it in Mane. Mane it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, what, what could the defenders be thinking there? Ah, it's probably all right. Keeper will come and get it. There's no chance a Liverpool player could be in here to, you know, knock the ball home from seven or eight yards. Why would that happen? Mm. Just leave it. It'll be fine. And and they were so tenacious in that first half. You know, it, it just felt like they, well, I suppose they sensed our vulnerability. And, you know, you can imagine Klopp's team talk, go out and blitz them in the first half. This game could be won by half time. Mm. And it absolutely was. Uh, fourth goal, a penalty. Um, oh, yeah, for me, I think that was maybe one of the most irritating moments of the game for me. I mean, I've seen that described as a dive, but I, 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 I mean, it's to me, it's an absolute stick on penalty. I can't believe there's any debate about that. Me either. Me either. I mean, Salah gets the wrong, gets goal side of Socrates and Socrates kicks out his ankles. Not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah. What's he supposed to do? Like if, if an Arsenal player is in that position and he doesn't go down, he's an idiot, an absolute idiot. You know? That's it. I mean, it's not like it's one point of contact where it's debatable. It's like he, he kicks him once, he doesn't get the ball, he kicks him again through the back of him. I mean, it's. Mm. Uh, I, I can only imagine that his head had gone at that point. And it's funny, you said on this show, I think a couple of weeks ago, at some point <laughs> his physicality will, you know, rear its ugly head and cost us a little bit. Mm. I mean, to be honest, the game was probably gone at this point anyway. But uh, oh, it's a 100% penalty. I don't know why there's any debate about this at all. Yes. And I don't really understand why there's any, uh, why people are being so critical of the referee in this game, you know? I know we could have had a penalty at 5-1 after they got a second penalty. How did you view that that second one? The second one, the Klasenach one, mm. I, I think that is pretty soft, actually. I was surprised it was given. Mm. Um, what do you think? Do you think penalty? I think he gave the referee a decision to make when he didn't need to give him a decision to make. Um, I'm just going to look back on it here. Uh, I'm just going to look at the replay. He is very uh, clumsy at times. In the <laughs> well, box, remember the actually. remember the game a couple of weeks ago. What game was it? Um, I forget. He flattened somebody, didn't he? It could he? have been the uh, Southampton game. Yeah, maybe it was. Uh, I'm just going to look at it here again. Here we go. <clears throat> 
There's the referee referee saying to Leno. Yeah, it's kind of like Lovren makes the most of it, but he's right in front of the referee. He does put his hands to the back, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, I, it is a but bit soft, I but I can soft. I can sort of see why the referee gave it. And he skirts that line anyway with the way that he plays Kolasinac in the box. He's always holding people, always pushing people, got his arms around people. He's physical in that regard, and he gets away with it most of the time, and last night he didn't. I don't think it made any real difference. As for the 5-1, the, the penalty that we should have had, it was a slow-motion replay which showed that there was some connection with Klein and Lacazette. And Lacazette tried to carry on, and then he went down a couple of steps later, didn't he? And I think the referee... That, that puts some doubt in the referee's mind. But let's remember, for all the people being critical of, of the referee, he could easily have sent Granit Xhaka off. Yeah. Easily. Very easily. He would have been well within his rights to send him off. And he, gave, he let him away with that because Xhaka had just been booked for a foul because he was furious at Mustafi. So I think we can forgive him the foul. Um, uh, but the, the kicking the ball away after he'd been booked, I mean, that's fucking stupid. It's really, really stupid. And I know you can get wound up and do silly things in a game, but when you've just gotten a yellow card, get back in position, shut the fuck up, and don't do anything that might get you another yellow card. So Michael Oliver let us off the hook there because he could easily have sent Xhaka off. I actually didn't see the Lacazette penalty incident at 5-1 because I had left the pub at 5-1. Right. I had to go and watch um, Danny Dyer and his daughter, Danny Dyer Jr., in Nativity the Musical. What the and fuck? Let me tell you, I was happy, having not wanted to do that mm. for some time in the build-up, when the time came for me to leave the pub and stop watching the game and go and watch Danny Dyer sing and dance on stage in front of me, I was genuinely happier to do that than continue watching the Arsenal game. Fuck and me. if that doesn't tell its own story, I don't know what will. Danny Dyer, and the, what, what part was he playing? He was playing a Hollywood agent, and he did it. Oh, in the Nativity, a, in the Nativity yeah. musical, yeah, yeah. He played a Hollywood agent with a Cockney accent. Um, it was very surreal. Mm. But I, uh, you know, the tickets were bought for me by somebody else. However, I, I was genuinely like, look, I was really upset all week. I'm going to miss the last part of this game to watch Danny Dyer. And by the time time came, I was like, bring me Danny Dyer. Oh I, I would rather, and that I mean. That's, I think, the lowest I've ever been. As yes, an Arsenal fan. that's pretty, pretty far down the <clears throat> the ladder of shitness, isn't it? it so, really in is. that last fifteen minutes, you can you can fill me in. Did we offer anything? Um, I can't remember. I don't think we did. No, I mean there was the penalty incident. It probably should have been a penalty, um, but. You know, you can. I could see why the referee didn't give it because he didn't have a slow motion replay. Um, that was in the 84th minute. The 84th right. minute. And... Unlikely then to un- spark yeah. a comeback. Exactly, exactly. It could completely moot at that point whether we got a penalty or not. Um, so <sighs> that, was, that was that. I mean, they had more chances to score. Leno made a save, a couple of saves. Um, so, so, just, so what's your reaction coming out of the game. I mean, it's it's a very, um, quite a humbling defeat and I think one that mm. shows quite how far we are off the top. But do you think, uh, I don't know, what's your sort of immediate response to it? 
My immediate response is that it's quite damaging. You know, I think we could have all lived, yeah. m- not lived with a, a defeat, you know what I mean? But if we'd lost 1-0 or 2-1 nil, or 2-0 exactly. or something yeah. like that. But this was, this was em- embarrassing, really, because we didn't do ourselves any kind of justice. I mean, it's made it very clear, surely, that there has to be investment in this squad, in defenders who can defend. Um, I think as well we have to talk about Unai Emery's role in this. I I absolutely accept it's his uh, first few months at the club. I accept that he doesn't have personnel who are good enough. I know we've been beset by injuries, but I didn't see any kind of structure or organisation to that team. And I'm not sure I've seen an awful lot of it this season. It was Tim, I think, from 7 a.m. kickoff who said, you know, um, something about the the style of play that Emery has. Maybe I should find that tweet here. Just bear with me one second. No worries. I mean, I do think the point about injuries is one that hasn't been stated too loudly, but I do think it's important. I mean, you know, we talk about Socrates and Mustafi being our first choice central defensive pairing, but actually when he was fit, Rob Holding was in there ahead yep. of those guys. And Hector Bellerin is yep. a massively important player. I think yep, both of those players are a big miss. Um, and, you know, that certainly, I think, is a contributing factor. However, you would also have to say it's not like we've been defensively watertight when they have been available. Mm. So Tim from 7am kickoff said, the players we have are bad, but what's also striking to me is a lack of organisation on the pitch. We still don't seem to know where anyone is supposed to be. Huge gaps appear all over the place. Our defensive line is ragged and there's little help uh, for the defence. And, you know, it got me thinking, really. You know, he has been very tactically flexible since he took over. You know, we play a back three. One time we'll switch to a back four in the middle of a game. We'll do this, that and the other. But I'm not sure he's working off a baseline or one set formation as a platform, which is the natural a way to to set this team up. And did you see the the moment in the Brighton game when Alex Iwobi came on at half time and he asked Granite Jacker what formation are we playing? Yeah. It's like I did see that. What what how how is that? How how is he asking that having just come on at half time? Like what's you know we talk about this guy as having incredible attention to detail. That seems to be a little bit of a detail he forgot to tell the player um, who maybe wasn't even watching in the first half. Who knows? It's just, I think it's a really damaging defeat, you know, for confidence, for morale. It has really hammered home how bad we are defensively. And while we've been looking for improvements under Unai Emery, and I think there have been some in terms of our character, in terms of our resilience, in terms of our work rate, mm-hmm. I'm not sure we've got the legs or the stamina or the fitness for those to maintain that improvement over the course of the season. Ultimately, the quality of the players that we have will dictate how good we can be. And yesterday, Liverpool were good. I don't think we can take that away from them. They were good. But we made them better because we played like assholes. And I, I think it's, uh, I, you know, when I, when I compare it to where we were after the Tottenham game, mm-hmm. which was a great performance and a great win, we didn't kick I, on from that. 
No, it feels like a turning point for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I but I mean, I, I just want to say as well that, you know, it could easily turn back the other way. Yes. Two or three wins and we could all be feeling a lot better about things and a couple of results go our way ahead of us and, you know, we could be right back in the mix there. So I'm not sort of writing everything off, but I wonder, is it the kind of defeat where Emery can go to Raul and Sven and Raul and Sven can then go to Stan and Josh and say, look, unless we do something about the the players that we have, unless we invest properly in defenders, we are not going to achieve what you want us to achieve this season, which is the Champions League, whether it's via the Europa League or via the top four. You know, a few weeks ago, I felt quite confident that we could stay in the, the fight for the top four. Now, I feel almost the opposite. And I realise that's, you know, the ups and downs of football and how your your mood or your opinion can shift based on a few performances. But that's where I am with it right now. And I think unless we do something in January, I I can't see how things are going to get much better. No, I mean, it does feel a little bit like the league is slightly separating. You know, the top three, I think, will be the top three. And I feel like it's almost between us, Chelsea, and maybe United if they revive sufficiently for the for fourth place. Um, Chelsea, as we speak, lead at Crystal Palace, so would open up a little bit of a lead over us in terms of the table. But it. I think the reason this defeat is so damaging and painful and the reason that fans have reacted to it so strongly is that I think it reopens some old wounds. I think when Arsene Wenger left, I think a lot of us kind of thought that this kind of result was maybe consigned to the past mm. with him. Um, and evidently that's not the case. And I think that realisation has been a real... Uh, disappointment and a, a reality check, I guess, mm. of of where we are, and the fact that you know, I don't think Emery has come in and transformed us overnight. You know, we're clearly no. still very early on in that process, and and I do think that that is, I think that that uh, is acceptable. Like, I do think that it will require a degree of patience, and that. You know, I know it's been bandied around a lot, this idea that, well, Jurgen Klopp finished eighth in his first season. But but he I only came was, in in January, didn't he? He only came in that January. He came into a mess, of course, yeah, yeah with under Brendan Rodgers. But, but I do think there is something to be said for that, that, you know, we can't expect these problems to go away overnight. I mean, fundamentally, the majority of the personnel are the same, with the exception of, you know, Socrates and Licksteiner. It's the same defence. Mm. Um but so you know, I, I I kind of I'm not that surprised that we still have this in our locker, and I do think earlier in the season we were defending pretty poorly too. It's just that Liverpool have a much more efficient attack than the majority of the teams that we've played, so it will they, they exploited our weaknesses far more, yeah. and I think we've dried up a bit going forward. You know, there was a time where you thought, well, look, we are rubbish at the back. Emery recognises that. He's putting the emphasis on our attacking play. There are times when we have Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Iwobi, Ramsey, all potentially on the field at the same time. It doesn't feel like that anymore. No. It feels like we've lost uh, Mkhitaryan to injury. Mm. We're only playing one of Lacazette or Aubameyang because we've lost Welbeck to injury. Ramsey and Ozil are on the fringes of this squad or, or seemingly not really part of the long-term plans. Iwobi's out of form. So we have 
lost that attacking threat that was used to counterbalance our defensive deficiencies. Yeah. And now we're being exposed. Yeah, look, you know, there are problems at, at all ends of the pitch, I guess. Um, the, the attacking side of our game, like you say, is a, is a not a problem now, but we do have two big strikers who aren't getting chances. I mean, there were stats going around about Aubameyang yesterday and how many touches of the ball he had and all that kind yeah. of crap, but I'm not sure they're really relevant in a game like this or a performance like this. What the fuck is he supposed to do? You know, if he's not getting the ball in decent areas, I mean, there was that moment, wasn't there, where he put it over the bar from, I don't know, yeah. a yard out. Um, saved by the flag. Saved by the flag in that regard. But look, I I can't look beyond um, our defenders as a significant part of of our problems because it's impossible to attack properly and efficiently if you don't feel like you have at least some kind of defensive platform behind you. It's inhibiting because everybody knows we've got a fucking clown at centre half. We've got a a guy who's too old. This uh, too old, too slow, is off the pace um and who frankly I'm liking less and less every time I see him play. Um I know people yeah. talk about his mentality and his shithousery and all that, but I, I think those could be things that are just masking uh, a footballer who is at the end of his career and shouldn't be playing for a club like Arsenal. Socrates gets away with it because, you know, he's new. He's a relatively new signing, and we don't have the weight of of performance after performance with him. You know, he was really bad yesterday. He was very good against Burnley. So, you know, there's a, a, an element of mitigation there for him. Kalasinac, great going forward, not particularly good defensively. Koscielny, coming back from injury, we don't know if he's ever going to be the same again. Monreal, injured in and out of the team, looking his age. So there are big problems back there. And then, of course, we have these two other issues. The Ramsey issue, which I don't think is as serious as the other one, um, which I'm going to talk to you about now in a second. You know, there's um, I can understand maybe an unwillingness on Emery's part not to play Ramsey because, well, he wants to build the team around players who are going to be there. We get that. But you can't cut your nose off despite your face. I don't think Ramsey was particularly good yesterday either. But then nobody was. And then we have our £350,000 a week elephant in the room who is out with a knee injury. Do yeah. you think it's a knee injury? I mean, we I don't know. know. All we can do is speculate. But based on everything we've seen so far no, this I season, mean, it's impossible not to be cynical. It, listen, it, it would appear very coincidental that before games in which Meza Ozil was unlikely to start, he sometimes is entirely absent from the squad. Mm. You know, that that has happened on more than one occasion this season, be it a back problem or illness or now a knee problem. Not just not just this season, but you know, through his through his career. Through his career at this club it's happened. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I... It's more pronounced now, though, I would say. It, it is more pronounced, and I also think that the difference is that I think the we have a manager, or a coach, rather, who doesn't uh, have the same degree of faith or trust in him that Arsene Wenger did. Uh, and, you know, Arsene Wenger spoke about, I think, once on record, saying, you know, sometimes uh, we'd think about dropping Ozil 
maybe it was Steve Bold who said this. I can't I remember now. But sometimes we think about dropping him and then in training, you know, he'd do something astonishing or show his technical, technical skill. And by the end of the week, he's back in the side. Um, and Emery, I don't think, feels that way about us. All that much is clear. I think he doesn't trust him, uh, particularly away from home. And it's a real problem. I mean, that said, I, I you know I saw I had people tweeting me on during the game saying, well, we're, we're three or four one down, saying, well, this is on Emery. You know, if he'd picked us or oh come on, <laughs> and I was like, if you if you watch Liverpool play at that intensity, and you think that Meza Urza would have been useful to us, I think in that game, I I think you've been watching a very different player to the one I've been watching. I mean, I just think I actually agree with Emery that. In these big away games, he is actually uh, a bit of a liability, and you know, bring on the pitchforks. But that's what I think. So, you know, where, I, so I just, where does that leave us with him then? This is a guy yeah. earning three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, which you know, if you think about someone like Torreira, who's probably on seventy or eighty grand a week, you get three players' wages from from what we're getting from Mesut Ozil. It's it feels like Emery is really trying to push the club into making a decision. That's what I think, yeah. I'm convinced that that's his intention. He's making it absolutely clear to the powers that be that, you know, that this isn't a sustainable situation. And, I, I, you know, that has already provoked a bit of a, not a divide among the fans, but certainly a, a big point of debate because, you know, it comes down to do does the coach... Uh, put his idea, his tactical philosophy, if you will, above and beyond all other things, or should he work with what is available to him? Because sure. if you brought someone in fresh to this squad and said, well, look, this is the squad, these are the high earners, these are the players you've got, uh, ideally, perhaps you would like someone to say, OK, well, I've got a plan that involves Mesut Ozil uh, and potentially involves Aaron Ramsey too. I would argue that Emery has tried to do that. And as easy as it is now to say oh, he's discarding us or he's ostracising him. I think it's easily forgotten that at the, at the start of the season, in pre-season, he spoke about wanting to be a home for Mesut Ozil, to be a family to him, to, to include him in the team, that he did play him in the first few games. You know, he played him against Man City. Uh, he, he supported him publicly. He made him a captain of the team. He was heavily involved. And then, you know, it didn't work out. But I do think that he has tried. I, I really do. I think he's tried to make it work for Ozil. And as much as people can point to that Leicester game or that pass for Kolasinac, I don't think anyone can make a concerted case that he has performed across the season. Or last season. Yeah. You know, uh, since he got the the contract... Um, we haven't had anything close to what we thought we were paying for, for Mesut Ozil. You know, remember he missed a load of games towards the end of last season with the back injury going into the World Cup. And, and look, I know the circumstances were were weird then as well because we never looked like we were going to finish higher or lower than sixth. So it was easy to do it. I think you're right. I think he has tried with Ozil. I don't think any manager coming into a new club would deny himself the quality and the talent that Mesut Ozil has on purpose or without good reason. And there's there's got to be some method to what appears to be, for some people, madness by Unai Emery in this regard. I think people might have an easier time 
in accepting what's going on with Ozil. And I think we can say at this point it's verging on unhealthy slash toxic because you cannot have a £350,000 a week player at your club who doesn't play, whether it's away from home, at home, wherever. You just can't sustain that kind of lunacy because that's that's all it is but i think well, let's may, may- quickly say as well if if it is injury then that's as big a problem you know you can't pay someone those wages if they're only going to be fit for a third of the game sure. do you know what I, mean? I, I don't think it's i maybe i'm wrong but uh, and if he is if he does have any injury i you know i take it back and and everything else but based on everything else that's gone on this season you, you can't be cynical but what i'm saying is that it, people might find it easier to deal with the absence of ozil uh, for for tactical reasons, as Emery keeps saying, if we knew what his tactics were. That's a really, really good point. And I think that is the crux of it, that if people saw a clear ideology on the field, something they could really hang their hat on and say... Mm. I remember Jurgen Klopp's first game for Liverpool, I think, I think it was against Spurs at White Hart Lane... And I remember watching the first 20 minutes of that game and thinking, wow. And this was a Klopp team that was a bit of a mess, really. I mean, he inherited a real mess from Rodgers. And mm. I think the back four was Klein, Skirtle, Sacco and Moreno with Mignolet behind them. You know, this was, not a, this was not a great team. But I remember watching that first match and immediately I saw, oh, they're doing the Klopp thing. They're doing the Klopp thing, like they're they're chasing, they're uh, breaking at speed, they're doing turnovers high up the field. You know, Adam Lallana was suddenly this pressing engine that he'd never been. And I remember thinking, okay, straight away, it's you know it's in evidence what what Klopp wants to do with this team. And and over the three years that followed, he has managed to do that incredibly successfully. Um, with Emery, I accept it is harder to see the direction that he's going that is so that is so uh, the antithesis of what Ozil can provide you know if we played with Aaron Ramsey regularly as the starting number 10 and he was this frenetic ball of energy closing down defenders dropping back in to help out the midfield and that was what we had decided to do then i think people go okay well he's gone for that over Ozil mm. i can see the logic there but that isn't really what we get yeah. or what we do it's not coherent yeah. and I, I suppose my glass half full as far as the manager goes interpretation of it is maybe he just hasn't got the players to implement what it is he wants to implement like maybe yeah. what he's got is so far from removed from his ideal that we can't see it yet that would be a good explanation, for sure. I do wonder what it is that he needs to do what it is that he wants to do, though, because there are it's Everbenega, players. apparently. <laughs> Everbenega, yeah. I mean, I, he's a no, good player. He is a good player. Um, but I, I do question why we would sign another 30-year-old. The only way I could see something like that happen is if we get rid of Ramsey and Ozil. Uh, in the January window. Maybe that's something we can discuss in the second part of the show. Mm. We've got, might have some questions for that. Anything else that you just want to make a point on before we finish on part one? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've, we've sort of had a go at it, haven't we? Let's see what the questions bring. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, we will take a break. We'll be right back uh, after this. That was like 
Mustafi defending segue into part two. (laughs) Fuck me. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arseblog, and also on the Arseblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog. James, I'm going to start. This comes from Michael, who's at Euler56 on Twitter. We have no money for transfer fees and wages. Stan ain't going to put his hand into his pockets. With this in mind, what are we going to do about our defense in January? Hey, I don't Aye. know. Uh, but listen, you know, we talked about injuries. We talked about um, Bellerin and Holding. I think we were slightly remiss to not mention Nacho Monreal. I mean, I would argue three of our starting defenders weren't available yesterday. However, two of those are fullbacks, and one of them is out for the rest of the season. We desperately, desperately need at least one centre half. Mm. Uh, it, it it really is pressing. I mean, we've kind of soldiered along with Mustafi. It's not worked out. I think Koscielny looks kind of what he is, which is a player towards the end of his career who's returning from a massive injury, who can't be relied upon to play two games a week. We really, really need a centre-half. And I, we haven't got the money to go out and buy uh, you know, someone who's already established at the top level, someone who's 50 million plus. I, I sincerely doubt. So I think we are reliant upon our scouting system and our network of contacts to turn somebody up, you know, a, mm. a Lucas Torreira, someone like that, who we're not necessarily anticipating. But I cannot possibly see how anyone, any of the decision makers at the club, and I include the Cronkies in this, can look at what they saw at Anfield and think, oh, we'll be all right until the end of the season. If they are serious about pushing for the Champions League this year, then they mm. have to sign a centre-half. It's like that, uh, you know, that this is fine image where the guy's yeah. sitting in the burning room it's like that it's a football version of that I mean on just to continue Ryan who's at Ryan MK1V uh, or is that Ryan Mark 4 who knows there's probably three other Ryans out there doing bad Ryan things who knows but he says if Gary Cahill is the answer then what on earth is the question that would be a really underwhelming signing, wouldn't it? I think I'd go further than that, actually, and say it would be disappointing. I mean, Gary Cahill has not been great for Chelsea for about two years now. If I speak to you know people I know as Chelsea fans, he's, he's not in the team there. Uh, 
he's essentially surplus to requirements and it's just not remotely inspiring. I don't look at him and think that he would be significantly better than Socrates. He probably would be better than Mustafi, to, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, probably, but I'm but not, it's I'm a low not bar. Sure. Yeah, it's a low bar, and I'm not sure that he would be good enough for us to kind of play catch-up and close the gap on the teams above us. I mm. mean, that, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Is where, where you know, Crikey won't put his hand in his pocket, but there's a big financial interest in returning to the Champions League. You know, that's important for the the club's uh, balance. It's important for the club's status. You know, if he thinks that that could be the difference, maybe he will. Maybe he will. I, I think it is at the point where it's absolutely necessary. And the only thing that makes me think we might see a stopgap type signing like a Cahill is if they absolutely know there's a guy we want to get in the summer, he's going to have a massive impact, be a huge transformative signing, but we can't get him until the summer. I do think if that's the case, Mm -hmm. you have to sort of go, all right, fair enough, but we're probably not going to make the top four this year. Yeah. If that's the long game, I think you can live with that because, well, we saw Liverpool. Didn't we remember everyone last year, uh, they were... uh, they were trying to sign Virgil van Dijk, weren't they? It took in the them summer, a, yeah. yeah. And it didn't happen. When did they sign him? Did they get him in the January? Early or? January. I think right. they announced it in December and he went moved at the start of January. Okay, so, I mean, Klopp knew he needed a defender, but he knew exactly the defender that he wanted and didn't buy anyone just for the sake of buying anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that is the plan... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say people could live with it if the plan is public. Everyone knew that Liverpool wanted to buy Virgil van Dijk. It's very difficult True. to sell people on the idea of a guy who's played 21 minutes in the Premier League this season if you don't have any idea what the the plan is. And I realise the club doesn't have to make it public uh, and probably shouldn't make it public, uh, but it doesn't change how people feel about these things. So. But Liverpool did behave smartly in that respect. You know, they... It was their interest in Van Dyke was very public, and I guess I can imagine as a Liverpool fan they were probably very disappointed when they didn't get him on deadline day in the summer. But there was a kind of assumption that he would eventually move to Liverpool; that that deal would eventually mm. happen. Similarly, you know, they announced the Cater deal a year in advance, and that probably took the pressure off them from supporters as regards their their transfer activity in that summer. It, you know, if Arsenal do identify the right person. It wouldn't be the worst thing if they said, "Okay, look, we've signed Gary Cahill for six months, but X is arriving in the summer. You Mm. know, I do think it might take something like that to for this not to feel like a a, I don't know what's like a hash job, really. And, And I think that there is something to be said for waiting for the right guy, because look at our squad. It feels like it's in danger of filling up with stop gaps. You know, someone like a Socrates who is okay, but we've essentially committed to them financially. A Mkhitaryan's another example, but, you know, they're not really the level that we necessarily need to be in two or three years' time. Um, So I I hope they can do something in January, something significant for the defence. But if they can't, I suppose... I suppose we have to accept that as 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 difficult as it is. I suppose I'd rather that than another fifteen million on another mm. crap defender. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But you you get to the point where you wonder if we have to speculate to accumulate to break ourselves out of this Europa League cycle. 
because yeah. the more we become established as a Europa League club, the more difficult it's going to be to get out of it. You know, that's that's the danger for me as well. And, you know, you certainly... Let's remember that the... the who is he now? The managing director, uh, Vinay, said that Arsenal being out of the Champions League is costing us tens of millions of pounds every season. Mm-hmm. That's something you can live with maybe for a couple of seasons, but not for three or four, certainly not for five or six, because the longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes to re-establish yourself as the kind of club that top players want to join. And I'm not sure at the moment that we're the club that top players want to join. Of course we're not. Why would you? I mean, people talking yesterday, you know, before the game, well, maybe we should just give Aaron Ramsey a new contract, get rid of Ozil, give Ramsey. But why would why would Ramsey want to stay at this point? If you're Aaron Ramsey and you're looking at what's going on and you're looking at uh, at, at the defensive calamities, and I'm not saying he doesn't play a part in everything that's going on. He is one player at the club. But if you're looking around, you're 27 years of age and you're looking at a team that is probably going to be playing Europa League football next year and you've got a, a chance to join one of the uh, big clubs in another league, you know, he's been linked with PSG, he's been linked with Bayern Munich, he's been linked with Juventus. That's the level of club that he's... Uh, uh, got options of when his contract expires. So why would he stay? You know, that's another damaging thing as well. However, it's all gone down. It's still, it still reflects poorly on us. So, uh, you know, I realize it's difficult. I realize that funds are limited. Maybe we have to do something to generate funds. And I'll just take the next question and you can ask the one after that. This one comes from Arshavin's horse. Um, who's at Talking Arse, whose avatar is actually an arse with a face on it. Oh, um, he says, how much of a rebuild do you think we need? Which player should we consider letting go in order to fund it? And do you think the fans have the patience and the unity for the club to pull it off? Well, there's two obvious candidates, aren't there? In terms of, you know, who the club should consider letting go. I think, you know, Aaron Ramsey is an obvious one because his contract will be up in six months' time. If someone's prepared to put a bit of money on the table, it is tempting to take it. I have to say, you know, I saw a piece linking in with like a £10 million move somewhere and I, I did wonder how much is £10 million really worth to us? You know, is that... Would we do something more useful with that £10 million than keep Aaron Ramsey for six months? I'm genuinely not sure about yeah. that. Um, what do you think about something like that? I don't know what we could do with £10 million. Um, but I also don't know what we're going to get from Aaron Ramsey in the the so-called system that Unai Emery wants to play. And yeah. I do think there's an issue that whether we like it or not, and Ramsey, I think, is a real professional who will always give you 100% on the pitch. But when you get to the last few months of your contract and you know an injury could have a really significant impact on your future... I do wonder about, subconsciously even, what you get from that player. Mm. Well, you know, come January the 1st, if he wants to move abroad, he can sign a pre-contract. Yes, he can. can. Yeah, yeah. Someone else's player, you know, within a few months' time, and and any injury would jeopardise a massive signing on fee, Mm. a massive deal, and the move that he wants. So I think that's a really good point. And we've seen that historically, that in the players in the last six months of their contract have figured less and less. Um, the other one, of course, is Mesut Ozil, and I think that 
it, you know, as much as I admire Ozil's talent as a player, I do think we are at the point where if the manager doesn't trust him, it would be better to let him go. Yeah. Um, how you do that is is difficult because of his huge salary. I have to say, if I was a big club, like if I was uh, a, a Man City or a Barcelona, I would be sorely tempted by Mesut Ozil simply because I, I do sort of wonder to what extent his malaise is kind of due to the fact that he's not quite at the top of football. I do wonder, if you look at his career, his early 20s, he was at Real Madrid, between like 21 and 26 or whatever it was. He was at Real Madrid competing for La Liga, competing for the Champions League. He won the World Cup at 26. And now he finds himself at a Europa League team you know, bouncing between fifth and sixth in the Premier League, and we wonder why he's a bit demotivated. I do, I do wonder mm. if, to an extent, you know, he he had the peak of his career in his in the first part of his twenties, and is now in some sort of bizarre kind of gilded cage. And that if you were to take him to say, right, you're playing at the New Camp every week, or you're playing for Guardiola every week, you might actually unlock something in him that we we don't particularly seem capable of unlocking right now. Yeah. Um, to but me, persuading someone else to take that gamble is, a, of, is another. Of course, to me, I you know if the relationship between uh, Ozil and Emery is as bad as it looks from the outside, and if the coach can't play his star player, the three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week man, mm. in an away game, not just at Liverpool, but at Southampton or at Bournemouth. Mm then I think there's something really, really wrong with that situation. And you have to make a decision about what's best for the club at this point. Leave aside your preference for the player, whether you think he's a genius, whether you think he's a lazy arsehole, whatever you think, and those opinions are out there, you have to be realistic about what's best for Arsenal Football Club. Does it look to you as if it's going to work out with Mesut Ozil and Unai Emery? No. no, to me neither. So you've got two options. One is that you get rid of Unai Emery or you mm. get rid of Mesut Ozil. And I think from the club's point of view, getting rid of Ozil gives you £350,000 a week to play around with in your wage bill. It takes a huge burden off your wage bill. You can spread the money around. Um, you could use it perhaps to fund transfers because if you're talking £350,000 a week is what? But how much are, hang on where's my calculator here? I'm not good at maths but well it's, if you times it by 52 it's it's 18, 18 million, million pounds a year a year yeah. and, and let's spread that out over let's say another two years so you're talking about 40 odd million pounds 50 million yeah. pounds maybe you know that's a not insignificant amount of money that could buy you some players. I think where we really need to go in terms of how we work the market are more Terreras and Gendouzis. Those yeah. those are the signings, I think, that we need to make. They're more realistic. They're more within our budget. The players have got scope for improvement. They don't cost as much as big stars. It might take a little while to get them to where we want to get them, 
but they could also then become valuable assets which we can sell and continue the cycle of reinvestment in the club the way that Liverpool have done with with um, with Coutinho and, and with Suarez. And actually somebody made that point to me here. Uh, Adnan Khan, who says, yeah. I keep hearing that Emery situation at Arsenal is analogous to when Klopp started at Liverpool. Given how few bankable assets we have to generate funds for players Unai wants, is this really true? We don't have a Coutinho to sell for $150 million. But, and that's true, that's absolutely true, we don't. You know, we had a Ramsey we could have sold for maybe $40 million in the summer. We had a Welbeck we could have sold for $20-odd million in the summer. We didn't. We've left that money behind. But where I do think we can free up some funds and commitment to funds is by moving on Mesut Ozil. Like you say, it's easier said than done. I think the, the potential destinations for him are few and far between. Ozil apparently wants to stay. Uh, fine. But if we're talking about what's best for Arsenal, then I think a parting of the ways at this point is the only real option, unless somehow... Emery and Ozil can sit down and work out some kind of treaty between them to get more from the player. But I, I really don't think that's realistic. So what do we do? No. Just hang on to a guy and pay him 350 grand a week for the rest of his contract and barely play him? That's stupid. So bite the bullet. People won't like it. But if we can invest in more Terreras, maybe they can learn to live with it. Maybe. And, and uh, call me old-fashioned, but if, if the choice comes down to... Urzel or the manager, my instinct is to back the manager in these situations. And I, you know, before the last few years of Arsene Wenger's career when uh, with Arsenal, where, you know, I was kind of of the mind that we needed to change, I, I mm. took a lot of stick for, for backing Wenger, you know, over in situations over Thierry Henry, in situations over Patrick Vieira, Robin Van Persie. You know, ultimately, I think most fans did said, well, look, you know, this guy has got the the bigger interests of the club at heart. We believed in that and we we ultimately went with him over the individual players. And I I do think that you have to do that. You have to support the manager. You have to give them authority. And I think Meza Ozil, it, it seems to me, is presenting some kind of challenge to Emery's authority. And I don't think it's an imagined challenge. I don't believe the stories that he's so haunted by what happened with Neymar that he kind of envisaged us or something that he's not. I think you can see the problems between Emery and us, or you can see why he doesn't fit the model. So, uh, yeah, I say back the manager and, and let him, give him the chance to do what he's going to do. Because ultimately, Ozil is the age that he is. He's costing us what he's costing us I think if there's a way to sever that tie and create, put some money back into the club that's currently going out for a player who's barely playing, I think you have to take that route. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think so. But, you know, uh, yeah. It's, it's a big a, test for these big... people who are now tasked with running the football club from uh, from a footballing perspective. Raul and Sven and, uh, you know, Vinay and all these guys. Um, yeah. It's it's tough. It's tough, but maybe you have to make a a really difficult, unpopular decision um, for the benefit of the football club in the long term. Because yeah, and maybe you have to take one step back to go forward. Genuinely, like maybe you have to say we're selling Aaron Ramsey, we're selling Mesut Özil, we mm. can't get the players in January to replace them. You know, it, we're not gonna. Uh, 
necessarily kick on in the way that we hope in the second half of the season. But come the summer, we do actually have money to spend. We have identified the right targets. We have got the right people in place. Like, I understand everyone's impatient. I understand everyone wants us to be back in the Champions League overnight. But I do think the scale of the job that Unai Emery inherited is sometimes overlooked. And I think that our unbeaten run papered over a lot of cracks and maybe set up expectations that, you know, the problems at the club don't necessarily allow for. Yeah, and I think as well it's worth pointing out that there has been... The investments that we've made in players over the last number of years have been poor. I don't think there's necessarily been a huge lack of investment. People point to a lack of investment. I don't think that's necessarily the case based on what we've spent. But I think what we've spent on... (coughs) Sorry. But I think what we spent on are some really poor players. We've wasted money. We've like think about the Lucas. We talk Paris. about how expensive Ozil is. Think about how expensive Mustafi is. Think about the fee that we yeah, paid for him. Absolutely. And what his wages presumably are to reflect the size of that fee. I mean, he's cost us tens and tens of millions of pounds. Uh, that's for- a poor investment. I would argue, as much as I love Aubameyang and Lacazette, that given our resources allocating mm. 60 million quid each or whatever it was to two centre forwards who, you know, when we don't necessarily play that way, wasn't the smartest use of that money. No. I don't think Henrik Mkhitaryan was a good investment in terms of what we've had to pay him in terms of wages. He's he's costing us 200 grand a week. Oh, I mean, And, and if, if we could have sold Alexis and Ozil the summer before their contracts expired and banked 100 million quid and done something with that, I, I genuinely think that would have been better. Sure. And look... You know, let's remember that Alexis was on something like 130 grand a week when he left Arsenal. And we all laugh at the big wage that he got at Manchester United and the fact they're not getting any value for that. And that's fine. I I get that. But we paid a guy who's not as good nearly twice as much. That's not smart. It's not smart. Lucas Perez was not a smart deal. You know, think about what we spent on him. 18 million pounds we spent on Lucas Perez. I remember talking to you on this podcast because... You know, you knew someone who was involved in the the, the scouting side of things. Mm. And Arsenal were told that Lucas Perez was not up to what Arsenal needed. He yeah. wasn't a good investment at that price. We went ahead. We did it. We then loaned him out after a season in which he played okay. You know, he did all right, Lucas Perez. But he played barely uh, anything in the last part of the season because Wenger obviously looked at him and said, well, this this guy isn't good enough for what I think an Arsenal player should be, bearing in mind, you know, that the the players he was picking maybe weren't that much better in, in, in some cases. But then we loaned him to Deportivo. Maybe we got a million pounds or something um, as a loan fee. And yeah. we sold him to West Ham for what? Three million, three and a half million? about three million. Yeah. yeah. So we've taken a 15 million pound plus wages fucking hit. On a player like Lucas Perez, you know, so the I think Emery is dealing with chronically bad spending of money by Arsenal, not just last season or the season before, but over the last number of years. It hasn't been strategic in any way. It, it was reactive, and we always said that, didn't we, about the the money, the way we spent or the way we dealt in the transfer market. There never appeared to be a, a cohesive plan as to what way we were trying to put our squad together. 
instead we were just, you know, like Mustafi, Mustafi was a fucking end of August signing, wasn't he? Mm, where we yeah. knew we had to get a defender all summer and we, we, we got nailed to the wall with £35 million for that guy. £35 million. Pounds. I know. It was it was the same time as the Perez deal. I think we did them within a, a yeah. few days of each other. Um, earlier that summer we signed Shaka, who, depending on your assessment of the player, it was also, you know... I think uh, we've got better value for our I money from Xhaka because he's somebody who plays regularly who can contribute positively to the team despite some of the stupidity and some of the, the, the mistakes that he makes. You know, I, I would... If you ask me to choose between the 35 million we spent on Jack and the 35 we spent on on uh, on Mustafi, you know, there's only one that comes out well. Um, but it, you know, I, you could still say well, he's overpriced. I would add as well. I've seen people saying, you know, people say uh, Emery inherited uh, a dodgy defence, but you know, three or four of the players uh, in yesterday's defence were his signings, and I, I do think that it's not necessarily right to call them Emery's signings. I don't think Unai Emery signed no. Bird Leno. I don't no. think he signed Socrates. No. I don't think he signed Lichtsteiner. I don't no. think he was even appointed when the Lichtsteiner deal was essentially done. Um, so, I, you know, I would not call those players Emery's signings. I think you have to try and separate. I know we're used to seeing uh, a team all signed by the manager, but I don't think that's what we've got right now. Yeah, I mean, you might well say that the Torreira and Genduzzi signings were the most Emery signings, that he had the most input or influence over uh, because he knew Genduzzi from from uh, from France. Mm-hmm. And Torreira, I think there was some story going around that, you know, he, he was part of the, the process of getting the Torreira deal done, which is, mm-hmm. you know, brilliant, f- fine. And they're probably the two signings that have worked out best pound for pound. Um, and, and the two signings he seems to trust the most, certainly. Mm. Uh, but I do think that hopefully, hopefully the process is more collaborative. I completely understand why it wasn't last summer. Arsenal were in a bind. They had a manager who they didn't know if he was staying or going until the very last few weeks of the season. They then had to press on ahead. They had a World Cup to contend with. They had to get business done. They had to appoint a new coach. You know, Sven had to press on and make inquiries, do deals, you know, get things moving. But now Unai's been in the club with an office, you know, round down the corridor from Sven, from Raul, for several months now. When we go for people in this January transfer window, I believe, I have to believe, there'll be a more unified approach and that there'll be yeah. players who specifically meet Emery's requirements. I don't think you can look at the signings we made in the summer and, and, you know, I know for the most part they've, they've done okay, the signings in the summer, but I don't think you can look at them and call them Emery's signings. I think that's unfair. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd uh, agree. What about... Well, I, I suppose on that note, this is quite a straightforward question, really, but Dean Van Nguyen, who's at Dean Van Nguyen on Twitter, says, is Socrates good enough for Arsenal? Does he avoid the heavier criticism by just being an OK defender in a bad bunch? Maybe... Maybe. Hard time to judge, isn't it, after his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt yesterday? Yeah. You know, I have to say, last week after the Burnley game, I was thinking, yeah, I I quite like this guy, and I think he's done pretty well since he came in. And then he had a horror show at Anfield, um, which, of course, colours your opinion of a player. But I think, as I said earlier, we don't have the weight of two and a half seasons of him playing like that. Um, so, 
Is he good enough? I think he could be, but he needs a better partner. Yeah, I mean, look at Dejan Lovren and what a mess he was at Liverpool for so long. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, at the moment with Joe Gomez out, he's getting plenty of game time. And next to Van Dijk, he looks passable. So there is hope, I think, if if the partnership is right and the balance is right and Mustafi isn't in it, then there is hope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Uh, what do you think? I'm not convinced he's... I can't imagine a Premier League winning team with Socrates in it. I'd I'd go that far. Okay, here's okay. I, I I would agree with that, which just reminds me of a question here from Chippy's Curler. I like Emery, but can you help me make the Spanish Bruce Rioch fit the narrative? Like I don't see Arsenal winning a title under Unai Emery. I think he's a he, uh, the kind of coach who could stabilize us. If 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 we do win a title under Unai Emery, please feel free to remind me of this moment in episode 264 of the Arscast Extra, published on Sunday, December 30th. Play it back to me. It'll be like manna from heaven. I'd love to hear it again, and I hope I'm absolutely wrong. But I don't think Emery is a title-winning coach. I think he's a coach brought in to stabilize us, get, get us back into the top four, and at some point, in order to, to make real progress towards... Um, the title, we're going to have to find someone else. So I think yeah, Socrates I is that kind of a signing. I think that's true. I think that's true. I think the problem is that we are making signings to stabilise us and to get us back into the top four at a time when other teams in the league, teams already in the top four, are improving nonetheless. You know, So mm. look at Liverpool. I mean, they're raising the bar all the time. I know Man City are wobbling, but they are on another level, really, to most teams in this league. You know, we're sort of building a team for fourth at a time when the top three are breaking away from that. Uh, And that is a concern, but it is also all we can do with our financial constraints and without Champions League football to offer. I do think that is kind of all we can do. I don't think Emery... Do I imagine Unai Emery winning the Premier League? Not without a lot more money. Mm. Not without a lot more money. Um, you know, if I think how good a coach I think Pochettino is, uh, which is very good, and I don't really think he can win the Premier League, you know, in terms of competing with Man City mm. and Liverpool, what they're spending. I just, you know, so I think Emery would hit the same buffers in that respect. Mm. Uh, but also, I'm not that worried about that. Like, I, I, I genuinely am not worried about that. My focus as an Arsenal fan now is to re-establish them as a Champions League team. That's what I want to see happen. That's the job at hand. And I agree with you that there's a second phase after that where we can push on. And But, you know, it's almost not worth thinking about that. We've got to deal with the issue in front of us, and that is returning to the Champions League. And I do think he's a good coach for that reason. Yeah, OK. Um... S, who's at Wood10 underscore, says, how many of our defenders do you realistically see being part of the squad next season? Um, okay, I don't think Koscielny will be here next season. Me neither. Um, Monreal, is Monreal out of contract yep. at the end of the season? Yeah. I mean, Emery spoke earlier in the season about wanting to extend it, but there's not been any news of that. Uh, so I would say maybe not him either. Okay. Um, 
I would like to think Mustafi might move on. Um, I'll give him a hand if he needs it. <laughs> a shove. Um, uh, <laughs> I think that's pro- that might be it. Uh, Chambers, I think, will be sold as well. Yeah. So, so that, that would leave leaves- us... Oh, I, I don't think Licksteiner will be with us next season either. I really... I think it's got a two-year deal, hasn't it? I thought it was one year with an option. Ah, uh, maybe it is. And I think that. the option should be, you know, now uh, can we get our money back? I know we didn't spend any, but please give us a refund. Sure, sure. Mm. So that would leave us with sort of Kolasinac holding, hopefully, uh, Socrates. Mavropanos. Uh, Mavropanos, yeah, who I'd forgotten all about, but he's back in training. Bellerin... And if you want to include him, Maitland-Niles. I, yeah, I'm not sure I do include Maitland-Niles as a, as a defender. I know he is an option, but I don't really think he is a, a natural defender. And I think that's yeah. part, of, part of the problem. You know, let's, let's think about the fact that um, throughout last season and this season, we've been playing a young central midfield player as a wing back or a left back or a right back or a right wing back, you know, People worry about his development, but how could it not be difficult for him? You know, I think we overlooked that a little bit. So, um, so yeah, like like you, I don't think Koscielny will be here. Monreal's a maybe, but probably not. Mustafi, I feel like, I feel like Mustafi will never leave. He's like that thing on the end of your toe, James. Sure. Someone needs someone needs, someone needs to cut it off. Um, Socrates and maybe whoever we bring in 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 uh, what about Klasenac? I think he will be there. Actually, I've sort of done a U-turn on that. I think Emery likes him enough. I have to say, I know that there are reasons that we didn't buy a left back in the summer. I.e., we couldn't really afford to go and get one on top of what we already had. But have you seen the guy playing at Everton, Luca Dean? He's, I just sort of feel like that's a massive missed opportunity for Arsenal. Yeah, I have seen him. I, w- I wasn't that impressed. Um, I think he's a very good player. But, what, you know, it's sort of one of those cases where we just it wasn't top of our agenda. We had priorities and they were central midfield and centre-half and the goalkeeper. And we ticked that off and we left a lot undone. We potentially needed another centre-half. We didn't do it. We'd potentially need a left back. We didn't do it. Potentially need a winger. We didn't do it. There is still a lot of work to do on this squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we need to go again. We need to get that young player who's ready to make the step up at left back. Yeah, but who it is, I don't know. I don't know. Well, no, it's hard to pick names. It's really hard to well, pick Well, actually, names. yeah, it is hard. And people often say, who should we get? Who are the players? You know, you want us to spend. You want us to go out and spend money on a centre-half. Who is there? Who's out there? I don't fucking know. It's not my job. It's not my job to know. I'm not paid millions of pounds a year to be the head of fucking recruitment and to scout people and send scouts everywhere. That's Sven's job. Well, But I didn't this? know... Go on. Go on. Well, this is a question from Anish Chandoke. And Anish says... Uh, outside of the top six, there are some very good players which Arsenal don't find fashionable to sign. Remember, uh, Virgil van Dijk was signed from Southampton. The last player Arsenal signed from a non-top six team was Arteta. And he suggests players like Juan Bissaka, Luca Dean, Chilwell, Maguire, Tarkovsky, Pereira could all make us better. What do you think about that? Are there other players in the lower reach of the Premier League who could... Of course us? there are. Of course there are. We've just spent a whole podcast talking about how shit our defenders are. 
<laughs> so, you know, the idea that there aren't players out there who can improve us and who would be better than the ones we have is absolutely ludicrous. Which, which players exactly they are, I don't know. I don't know. Depends on their availability, depends on, on whether we want them or not, you know. But unquestionably, there are players, probably at championship level, who could make a step up and be better than some of the players that we have in the squad, yeah. even if just to flesh out the squad. You know, let's not forget Rob Holding came from Bolton for two and a half million pounds and was probably our best central defender this season until he got injured. Mm. You know, and, so... And Liverpool, top of the Premier League. I mean, they mentioned Van Dijk, but uh, Sadio Mane came from Southampton. Shakiri was relegated from the Premier League last season and is currently in their first 11. You know, that... I do think there probably are players out there who can make the step. It's it's just difficult to identify who would and who wouldn't be able to do it. Um, it's a bit of a guessing game, but that's what scouts do. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool signed your man Robertson, didn't they, from Hull? Oh, yeah. From Hull, you from know. Hull, yeah. So, you know, the players are out there. The idea that you can only get good players from top clubs is, well, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. We got Torreira from Southampton. You know, we brought in Genduzzi, who I think is a player with great potential, still with some flaws. Um, but we got him from League Two in France. So you can't just close your mind to the idea that uh, because a player currently is playing for a club you consider inferior to Arsenal, that, that that guy couldn't make Arsenal better. You know, he bought bloody fucking Ian Wright from Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, yeah. You know, David Seaman came from QPR. You know, mm. of course those players are out there. It's about identifying them and making those deals happen. So, again, not our job. Go do it, Sven and Raul and whoever the fuck else. Absolutely. I mean, actually, sorry to jump the queue again. Chris Cloughton, who's at Triple C 1988, says... Could playing some of the younger players in defence, like Mavropanos when he is back, or Medley, be worth it considering how absolutely shite the other options are? <laughs> Young players cost you points, but our experienced ones are doing that too. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, I think probably Mavropanos is the closest to to making the breakthrough. But, I mean, I was looking at, um, you know, Licksteiner playing at... Uh, right back, and I'm wondering, do we not have a right back in our academy who could understudy Hector Bellerin better? Mm. You know, because the, the, the contrast in style between Licksteiner and Bellerin is so vast, they're just completely different kinds of players. And I don't, I, I understand the need to bring in some experience into a dressing room and all that kind of stuff. But given how fundamental fullbacks are to the way that Emery wants to play, that's maybe the one thing that we can take away from from the games we've played and from the system uh, that he has tried to implement, it's it's getting the fullbacks into dangerous positions. So why did we go out and get a fullback who, if he can get into those dangerous positions, uh, just can't deliver the ball? He's atrocious, you know? So I'm wondering, is there not a young fullback? What about the guy, uh, Osei Tutu? Is, yeah, he's a right back. He's, he's a 20. right back. You know, um, I Carl don't... Jenkinson? Gosh, Jenkinson. I mean, look at the one thing you'd say about Jenkinson. He's got an engine and he's got good delivery from the right-hand side. Yeah. Defensively, can he be any worse than Licksteiner at this point? Maybe. But he might give you a bit more going forward than, than we're getting from, from that guy. So the, the thing about young defenders is it's a really big step up and every mistake is, 
is a, a sort of dagger in the heart, you know? And I think managers, while they're much more prepared to put in a young forward or a young midfielder because there's a bit more protection around them, with young defenders, uh, it's you've got to be really sure that they've got the the quality and also the temperament to to cope with things when they go wrong because they will go wrong when you're a young defender. Mm. But I think Mavropanos is possibly the one who could get close to the first team. We bought him a year ago. He's been at the club a year now, basically. Uh, clearly somebody that Sven identified as a, uh, as a talent uh, capable of playing for Arsenal Football Club. And maybe it is a case that when he gets match fit and gets close to first team action, he could be he could be an asset to us. But you know, if you look beyond that, if you look at Zach Medley, I think he's still quite young. Um, I think it's it's been notable down the years. You know, we've had these young defenders at at youth level. If you think about uh, Plegazuelo, uh, Ignacy Mikel, you know, guys who've been at the top of the youth system, if you like. Yeah, but not good enough to make the step up. So we need to we need to really be aware of how big the gulf is between under twenty three football and um, senior football. Like, look at the look at the Czech trade tr- trophy. You know, that was our under twenty ones playing against whoever it was. We got beaten by Portsmouth. Got mm. well and truly beaten by Portsmouth, and I think they they let in six in one game. You know. And that's just from playing against a, a League One side or, you know, championship side. So there's a lot for those young players to do to make the to make the step up. I think the answer is the transfer market, really. Um, how optimistic are you about the transfer window? Do you think, how much do you think Arsenal uh, should do and how much do you think they will do? They should sign at least one central defender. Yeah, they should. If they don't, they're, it's a dereliction of duty. Basically, they could do with signing an attacking player as well, mm-hmm. um, unless they're prepared to give someone like Saka a go, a real go. He was on the bench yesterday at Liverpool, so yeah. ahead of Inketia. Yeah. yeah, so maybe that might be an option if funds are limited. But if they don't sign at least one central defender, I think the people who are running this club are are doing the manager and doing the fans a real disservice. And they're letting down the other players in the team as well. You know, it's obvious. Look at what happened yesterday. It's obvious we need somebody there who can add something to the first team, not just somebody who can come in and be part of the squad, somebody who can add something to the first team. And that's what I think they should do. I don't care how they do it. I don't care really at this point who they sell to make it happen, to raise funds. Because unless we do something about it, I think it's just going to be, we're going to get another one of these games next time we play one of the big teams. And it's going to be unpleasant again. And we're going to sit here and go, why the fuck aren't they doing anything? So that's what I think. I, I, I can't see a lot of action. But if I don't see a central defender come in, I think uh, it'd be really poor reflection on the owners uh, and also the people who can make those deals happen. I think they have to do it. I think they will do it. I don't think they've got much choice in the matter. I really, really don't. I think a central defender will come in. And I think 
I think there's every chance Aaron Ramsey will go because they might see it as a chance to reclaim some money. And if he does, uh, maybe they will bring in a central midfielder mm. as a replacement. Even though I sort of think we require a winger maybe more you know, than we do a central midfielder, I just feel that all these links to Benega make me think, is Emery very keen on this idea of a midfield three and is, is that a component he wants in there? Right. Well, look, you know, I don't know what more we can say about... Um, mm about this and about the situation and about the game. Uh, I think we've done it to death. And uh, if you're still with us and you haven't um, slumped in the corner with a bottle of gin, thank you very much indeed. We appreciate it. I'm going downstairs to get a bottle of gin right now. It's only half two in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Sod it. Sod it. Let's get it Sunday. on. Mm. Anyway, look, I think we should uh, we should leave it there and just take this opportunity to wish... Uh, all of you, a very happy, peaceful, prosperous and healthy new year. It's going to be next year before we talk, James. Oh, wow. 2019. Imagine it. We'll be a whole different team, I'm sure. The future is nearly upon us, folks. Exactly. Let's embrace it. <laughs> but no, thank you for uh, listening all year. Yeah. Um, Thanks for being here. Another yeah. year bites the dust. Another year over and a new one just begun as some... Fucker said anyway. Someone once said. Someone once said. Okay, listen, we'll leave it there. Thanks as ever. Do give us a rating or review on iTunes if you like, but do have a very happy new year. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply